3: I'm Giles Bidder, and I produced Creeper, the story of sex, death, and the infinite void. As you already know, this podcast documentary contains a story about a case of extreme mental illness. If you're going through a hard time or know someone who is, I've collected some information at mightymoonmedia.com. That's my production company. There's some information here that might help you find a solution to the way that you're feeling. Because at some point in all of our lives, we're going to have our own experiences, whether it's on a personal level or people around us. So I think it's vital that we can inform each other on how to move forward positively. Thank you very much for listening.
4: I might be remembering this wrong. Like after the event happened and like after hospital and stuff, I don't know how, but my mind sort of blocked it all out. So my memory is probably a little bit blurry here, but I was raging like, I was shouting, I was swearing, I was saying I was going to burn the church down.
2: I felt like he really felt like I was betraying him. He was still screaming to me as they closed the door, that I had to carry on his work and now it was my turn to take over and I had to do it for him as they closed the door on him. And I'll never ever forget the amount of guilt that I felt putting your friend in somewhere. He was begging me to, to help him and I couldn't. And, um, I just couldn't this is you're my best friend. This is my songwriting partner. this is I built my entire life with him. um he, he, like, I can't think of many people who know me better than Ian miles does, and um for all my faults and um it was the worst i think it was, I think it might be out there with the with the worst day of my life, I think, and I, it wasn't even me it happened to. I was just a witness to it. November first, we broke the band up on stage. This all happened in like the week after that, you know, um, we had all this tragedy. My mum's partner died and then Ian got sectioned the next day. But we were supposed to go on the Friday. That, I think Ian got sectioned on the Monday. And then on the Friday, we were supposed to travel out to Los Angeles. And in that week, we, I, we had tickets. We had two tickets ready to get on the plane. If he comes out and we've not got this together anymore, he'll, this, this will have cost him everything.
4: I can probably say now that I remember everything and it feels weird. Cause it feels like a dream, you know, like a really, really uh, vivid dream. That's why it feels like right now talking about, it just feels like I'm talking about a movie, you know, like it doesn't, th- it doesn't feel like I'm talking about myself. I can like detach myself from this whole story. They basically had to figure out whether I should or shouldn't go to hospital. Um, and they have different psychiatrists come in. So they can sort of um, put all the results together and see what the average um, opinion is. And yeah, I guess I guess that was it. Like I got picked up in a van that felt like a, like a prison transportation van. it was horrible and I had like security guards with me. Um, and then we drove and the nearest hospital that they found a bed at was in, in Brighton, like on the outskirts of Brighton. I went into hospital and they they did all like the standard procedure. They took all the strings out of my trousers, they took my shoelaces, like just in case I was planning on hurting myself. Which at that point was like the last thing on my mind. So yeah, I got got to hospital, they did that, took my shoes, took my strings. Um And that was it really, like I got there, I was super like super high still, like I was super manic. Um, And they just did what you expect, like they uh, sedated me, they gave me a bunch of drugs, Um, which I will say was the right thing to do. Like that wasn't um, like it it wasn't what I wanted at the time, obviously, but it was the right thing to do Um, because it calmed me down. It got me it finally got me to bed like I had had minimal sleep for a long time, which obviously fed into it hospital was really interesting to be honest um for the first week maybe two weeks i was like i was convinced that the people that like so there were some nights where i I would just sit up with some of the other patients and we would talk until like three o'clock in the morning because there wasn't any curfew like you could to a certain extent you could do what you wanted and i remember sitting up to like three o'clock in the morning talking to these guys and i was like fuck me these guys are geniuses like one guy was talking about like computer science and he was talking about how he's invented a new way that computers are going to work and interact with the world around us and i was like holy shit like why is this guy in here like he should be funded by the government to make these like virtual reality computers i was convinced of that for so long i was like jesus they they're locking up the wrong people as I came round, like as as they got the right cocktail of medications and I got enough sleep and I was um, doing other therapeutic exercises like painting, like painting was a huge thing for me. As I came round, I was like, oh, actually, no. What I thought was genius was actually um, delusions. I talked to them like a couple weeks in and it was just gibberish. Like I couldn't make sense of what they were saying. Their words weren't even linking together And I just couldn't, I couldn't believe that I thought, let alone, like, hear their words and make sentences out of them and believe what they were saying at the same time. Sleeping well, being in a routine, staying balanced. Like, it's, it's crazy how that stuff makes such a difference. Like, sleeping well, routine, eating well, um, and not drinking. When me and will were in la we were drinking like uh to like loosen loosen us up like there would be parts of the recording where we'd be a bit tense and not be able to getting get into the pocket of the song but that yeah that turned into us getting into the studio and drinking like straight away um so yeah me and will carried on scotch it was like non-stop um so yeah snapping out of that um snapping out of the drinking habit was really important as well. Um, forced into sobriety was definitely a good thing for me.
2: What you had to understand about Ian Miles and, and my relationship was that um, we were kind of always in this shit. Like, we were always, for, for, for lack of a better word, we were always just playing to nobody. We never had very stable jobs. We never really had any direction other than, like, punk rock and, and music. I was living at my dad's house in Portsmouth in his spare room and Ian was living at his mum's house in Romsey. She didn't have a spare room because she'd rented the rooms out of her house, to lodgers. So when Ian came back because of, of touring and music, she let him live in the, in the shed in the garden. That shed became an amazing place, an amazing, amazing place. I would go there and stay all the time. We would sleep in a shed. And this is a shed. This is not like this is not like some really rich person's like outhouse. It's not what we're talking about. And I had to make that very clear. This is a shed. This is where you put a lawnmower. And Ian had had moved into the shed and used to run a little extension lead out from the house to the shed to power all his things in there, like his computer and everything. And me and him used to go there and record record music in there he just moved out with cat his wife now and i would record demos underneath a a duvet in in his living room so now imagine that scenario but me and ian miles are in hollywood actual hollywood which is the, the hilarious kind of bumper sticker of um everyone who's ever sold out or everyone who's ever like gone to, gone to do anything, anything that's bigger than what they were doing. It's kind of like the, uh, the hilarious uh, kind of headline of um, every punk band who was, who was got too big for their boots. And so we kind of found that really funny. We would have a real fun with it. We're like, this is hilarious. And the holiday and we were staying downstairs, there was a, there was a room that they, they called the casting call. And uh, it was like a, it would be karaoke. It would be all these different things every day. And so me and Ian, on most of the, our first trip over there, wouldn't even venture out into the into the sea. We'd just go down to the casting call and sit there and drink and kind of soak up the people that would come. There was a man who came dressed as Bono every time. Ian was outside once and saw him get out of a car and said, the rock star has arrived. As he walked in uh, with his purple tinted glasses and his leather jacket dressed as Bono, and he'd only sing you 2 songs. I mean,
0: with Ian, Ian's a really interesting guy. I mean, he's Ian's always... I guess you get used to Ian, but I mean, if you didn't know him for the first time and you see this kid sitting in the corner of, like, flicking matches, like, he, you'd think he's a pretty strange dude anyway. But, I mean, that's just Ian. And, and you get very used to it. And I think we all got very used to a lot of the stuff that, in retrospect, maybe were were signals of a more extreme mental issue. and um, I, I just think it was compounded by a lot of things. I, I do worry about the pressure of, of writing and everything. And, and it's fucking brutal being in a band. Being an artist and being in a band is so tough. You're not just writing songs. You're not just turning up every day and writing songs and coming up with cool ideas for videos especially when you're dealing at the level that, that Creeper is dealing
3: at. Hi, I'm Danny Court, and I head up the UK office of Roadrunner Records. It's about trying to push the boundaries, trying to push it forward each time to try and create something new. This band that, that were great and great on stage and had great songs, but then you had this this extra layer of them that would make everything so creative and bring such an amazing identity to it you couldn't help but be excited to be part of it. You know, they were were tiny when we signed them. So it really was about building this band and trying to build the story that they were trying to tell as well across the first couple of EPs and and some of the videos that we did, which were really DIY as well, just with one cameraman and and a couple of people helping out as extras. We tried to put together this story that would then lead into an album. And then from then... You just watch the band grow and grow, and then it becomes really apparent how invested the fans really are in this band, um, and how they give everything for them. I think then that puts together a kind of cycle of feedback between the two. So, you know, you've got the band giving more and more and more. Then we released the record, the first record, and we got such a great reaction. The response was out of this world. It just, yeah, everything's just felt really right. And now to carry on doing, you know, I think the second album, what we've really seen from the band is, They wanted to expand that idea. They wanted to expand more into another story, but also just expand artistically. It's definitely the intelligence of the band. All of the story, all of that stuff comes from them. I think it's been better for us on the second record because we're all much more experienced in trying to tell this really intense and uh, complex story behind a record. You can't underestimate how intelligent they are as a band in terms of their storytelling. But also how that ties in with the record and with their music. And I, I think that's can never lose sight of the fact that we signed a band because they, they make a great, or they've made great records, you know, and they, they had great songs. And I don't think you would just sign a band because, oh, we've got this really great story and, and, and marketing idea. If the songs aren't really great to go with it, I think it has to be a combination of both. And we're just lucky that they uniquely have both of those together.
0: There's money involved too. And and you've got to deal with some real pressures. And I mean, the label have always been fantastic, but you've still got to navigate all of these things. You've got to navigate uh, these corporate entities whilst remaining uh, remaining true to yourself and doing what's right for the music and the fans and everything. And, and yeah, and there's pressure. And I mean, that album was so well-received that trying to work out what to do next, I mean, was really tough. And we always felt like, Uh, aggressive evolution had to be the key. I mean, that's always the thing with Creeper, it's like, what did we do this time? Well, next time we're gonna do the absolute opposite.
2: Will and Ian were out here scoping out producers for the new record right and we're here on a total covert operation they hadn't told anyone they were here the problem being i live just off of hollywood boulevard and walked around the corner with my wife to go to the mexican food place and bumped into will and ian on hollywood boulevard so we arranged to meet later that night And um, we stayed in the bar until closing and then went to another bar over the road that weren't even serving. We just wanted to stay out a bit longer. Um, And that set the tone for some of our nights out. But the thing is, mood and circumstance would change, but chaos would remain.
1: The first thing that I think a lot of people have a misconception about is Hollywood. Hollywood. Hollywood is of course the home of film and the home of cinema and there's the Hollywood sign and there's all these nice things but if you drive west on Sunset Boulevard you'll eventually get to this point where all of a sudden everything changes it's there's green grass and there's mansions and the roads are wide and there's no cars parked on the streets that's Beverly Hills that's the nice stuff that's where you know all the wealth exists but Hollywood proper is a totally cool edgy frightening exhilarating place and it's not what people think i mean before i moved to la i lived in new york and i you know i used to have to i took piano lessons out at the end of the two train in like East New York. And it was just terrifying walking, you know, from the end of the train station to my piano teacher's place. It was like, oh my God, I'm going to die every time. How quickly can I run to my piano lesson? And then I got to Hollywood and I thought, man, this place is edgy as hell. I mean, I'm a New Yorker and there's just, there's all kinds of stuff going on the streets. Uh, there's all kinds of nefarious things. There's a terrible, awful homeless problem that we're battling and everyone's you know really trying to figure that out and help where they can um and then there's just sort of this underworld aspect of uh, Hollywood which generally I try to you know not participate in at all uh but you know of course Will Gould and Creeper just you know are, are magnetized to that sort of thing that moment was like the hardest moment for me because
4: i obviously couldn't go when i was in hospital because i was locked in a hospital i had people were checking on me every half an hour to make sure that i wasn't trying to get out um but yeah and then i was i was uh i was discharged from hospital and in my mind that meant like everything's okay like i can go back to work hell yeah we got a trip in la coming up uh in like three weeks it's gonna go over everything's gonna be back to normal we're gonna crack on but then um there was like a unanimous decision for me to not go over because it was too soon and uh people wanted to put my health first um and i understand like i totally understand now but it was like uh like cat will and ian i guess they're like the deciding factors here And none of them thought that I was quite ready yet, Uh, considering that environment over there, you know, like that, because that's a big thing with bipolar as well, like flying and changing uh, time zones is uh, often considered a trigger. And uh, I mean, beforehand I was flying back and well, me and Will were flying back and forth to L.A. like all the time. So unanimously, everybody came to the the decision that it, it wasn't right for me to go over at that point. Yeah, and I was furious. I was really really pissed off because I already felt like I had missed out on so much. And uh but then it happened again, like there was another trip to LA. And uh there was another vote that I shouldn't go again. And at that point, I was like, "What the fuck is going on?" Dude's like, "This is our record." Like with that like I'm not there, so it's not our record. Do you know what I mean? I know that sounds like self-absorbed but it's just the first time it's ever been that sort of situation where me and will aren't together when we're writing and it was like it was it was hard on will um it was hard on me uh and it was just it just felt wrong um but it was a reality that i had to deal with and that was it like i didn't i didn't go back to la as much as i wanted to as much as I felt like I had uh, everything to offer and as much as I felt I was healthy enough to do so, yeah, I didn't end up going back.
2: Yeah, at certain points it was just... uh, It's just hard to know, isn't it? It's just hard. It's just like... uh, Because... It's hard to know what you'd want if you were in that situation, isn't it? You know, and um, the hardest thing about this album was, for me, I'm um, my responsibility to, to, to Creeper is uh, to be the front man of the band and to be like a the face of the band, regardless of what happens, regardless of what's going on internally in the band, regardless of what's going on outside of the band regardless of who's biting my responsibility is to is to be in character and to be fearless and to be at the front that's my job my, my, my job is that and I like to think that like um, like a, like an, uh, an awful lot of the time i'm I, i'm good at it um uh i like to think of it like um like the undertaker in in, in professional wrestling. You know, like how he uh, kept his character and kept his cool the entire time so he never never expelled emotion publicly ever, just kept, kept a character the entire time, over and over and over again. It's character, a character, a character. It all is character. You have to... You have to portray a role all the time and I felt that's one of the things that kept Creeper different to everybody else I was trying to keep the show together and to me the show has always been the most important thing in the world when you come to see Creeper you've come to see a show and if the show's not there then what what the fuck are you watching if I'm if I haven't turned up, if I haven't turned up and and, and 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 I'm suddenly posting about everything else around that, then you just come to see any other burnt and it was just it was very difficult when um to know what to do and to where to take it when um when my partner got ill. It made me want to stop. I really wanted to stop um a few times but i was um if if we didn't carry on there wouldn't we wouldn't even be talking now we like 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 uh, me me and you and um there wouldn't even be a if i didn't carry on there wouldn't be a band now i, 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 I and i think that and i don't think that i've saved the band i don't think that i don't think that like a I'm a martyr by any means, but I think part of my role of being a friend to Ian meant to be the friend that I needed to to, to be to honour those years of friendship and those years where he'd been there for me over and over again, even in that year where he'd been an incredible friend to me in the darkest moments of my life. The very least I could do was to keep it going.
0: He just had so much on his mind um he he had he he was carrying all of the guilt of Ian he blamed himself for everything that happened to Ian so he felt like he pressured him too much and they worked too hard on Creeper and and he carried that um he also felt guilty about being there and carrying on at times um as well as that he was obviously trying to console his mum who was who was at home still and help her for everything that she was going through. And then, and then everything in his own life too. He worked really hard. Like So when we were, it was that trip. So I went out, I went out pretty early on. Uh, Cause I felt like Will needed somebody there with him. So I went and stayed with him in the Airbnb and, um, and, I mean, every day we, we, we talk to Ian, and, um, he would be like, ah, oh, okay, this, this conversation's going okay. Like, he's, he's, he seems like he's getting better. And then he would just hit you with some curveball, and, uh, and, I mean, I hate to say it, but, like, some of it, is, it was pretty funny, because it's so absurd. And, and it really is that cliche that like you just didn't know whether to laugh or cry, and you kind of you kind of had to laugh about it a bit, or you you just would have, you wouldn't have functioned, you would have just broken down. I mean, it, it was so heavy. Um, you kind of had to you had to just keep being positive and stuff. And, um, but I remember we bought we we're in a mall somewhere, and um, we bought Will a toy. It was a rollout toy piano, so he could play it in the flat, the Airbnb, whenever uh, whenever the muse took him. And uh, we did try it. We had Ian Miles on an iPhone, FaceTiming with a guitar in in the hospital, and, and Will was wrapped up in his duvet, playing this bizarre little child's piano, and he was tr- he was trying to engage with Ian and and trying to trying to get something to work and trying to make him feel a part of the process Uh, and it it obviously is very difficult I mean the the reality is you can put Will in a studio and he's going to come out with something he's going to come out with something that's absolutely phenomenal and he'll do it every day whether or not when it comes to 11 o'clock at night and you're sitting in a bar reviewing what's happened that day whether or not he then decides he likes it or not is a different thing altogether I mean there is a there, there are 30, 40 songs for this record easily um, it was never about there not being material it was just whether the material felt right for this record and then did it fit with everything else and he just sit at a piano in this wonderfully atmospheric studio in Hollywood and he just keep writing ballads. But he was the one who didn't want them the most, Um, but he just kept churning them out. It was just all that kept coming out every time he got into the studio and and he knew that there's a certain uh, punk rock energy in Creeper. and and it's in its roots and its it's core DNA and he needed that and he knew the fans needed that and the record needed it. I mean, to me, it seemed like a pretty easy solution. Um, But I think he was just, he was struggling to find that hook.
1: This is a Mighty Moon
3: Media podcast.
1: Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Ando, and I'm Fer, and we host Niña, Niña Bien podcast.